Hello and welcome to this special emergency coronavirus edition of Factually. I'm Adam Conover. And look, we all have a lot of questions right now. Am I going to get sick? Do I really need to stay inside and not see my friends? How long is this going to last? Will Idris Elba be okay? We have a lot of these questions. And one of the big problems I've noticed during this pandemic is how hard it's been to get reliable answers to these questions that get everyone on the same page. You know, last Saturday, I I found myself quarantined in my home, reading tweets and news articles about how important it was for all of us to stay inside, while the bar down the street from me was full of partiers, people drinking, swapping spit, the usual. I called my parents up and I said, hey, I'm staying inside. And they were like, wait, are, are you supposed to do that? No one said that yet where we live to us. And that made me appreciate the degree to which not everyone is getting the same message right now. And even for people like me, someone who's trying to learn as much as I can, it doesn't always feel possible to get clear answers to the questions I have. There's so much uncertainty lying in front of us and so few clear answers. Well, when I'm in a situation like this, a situation where I need to know the answer to a question and I cannot find it myself, My approach is to find an expert who really does know, someone who has spent a lifetime studying the issue and who's immersed in the topic up to their elbows, and ask them. And I'm very happy to say that after an emergency, exhaustive, high and low search, we have found exactly that expert, and they are on the show today. His name is Dr. Ashish Jha. He's an MD, a professor of global health at Harvard, and he is the director of Harvard's Global Health Institute. I cannot imagine a more authoritative voice to bring to you today, and he was gracious enough to take the time during what you can imagine is a very busy time for for professors of global health. He was very gracious enough to take the time to answer all of my questions clearly, concisely, and compassionately. If you need a primer on exactly what this virus is, how we can protect ourselves from it, and what the future of life in America looks like from here on out, he has about the best answers you're going to be able to get anywhere. So I hope you enjoy this interview, but more importantly, I hope that you take it in, that you take these answers to heart, and that you continue doing everything that you can to help us stop the spread of this disease. Uh, Without further ado, here's Dr. Ashish Jha. Dr. Jha, thank you so much for being here with us at a very chaotic time. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Um, I hope I can be helpful, but it is chaotic. It is. Uh, We're recording this on Thursday at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time, uh, just because, you know, for when folks are listening to this later in case events overtake us. But how does the situation with COVID-19 look to you right now from your perspective as a public health uh, expert? So um, there's some good news and bad news, right? It's starting to, I'm starting to feel a little more optimistic than I was a few days ago. But if we take a big step back and say kind of where are we as a country, and I'm just going to talk about America because what's happening in Europe is very different. What's happening in China is very different. Um, We are right now in America on the steep part of the curve in terms of infections. We've got uh, more than 10,000 people now identified as having an infection that number is going to continue to rise uh, pretty exponentially over the, I suspect, next week, 10 days. 
And so it's going to look like it's getting much, much worse. Um, the big holdup has been that we can't get anybody tested. Nobody knows who's got COVID because we just didn't get the tests right. That's starting to get better, where our testing is starting to kick in. So I feel like we're in for a pretty tough couple of weeks, but I can start seeing some light at the end of this tunnel. But, uh, okay, so everyone's been saying we want to flatten the curve, right? That we want to slow the rate of infection so that we don't overwhelm, we don't have like a glut in our healthcare system. Exactly. Do you feel that we are doing that or are we failing at doing that or are we somewhere in between? Uh, So we're probably a little bit in between. Here's what the issue is. We started late. Like if we had started flattening the curve two weeks ago, Mm. I think we would have been in much, much better shape. But I think two weeks ago, we were still a little bit in denial about the whole thing. And we're not flattening it quite as much as we want. You know, look, a lot of people are working from home. Kids are out of school. People are like, what do you mean we're not flattening the curve as much as we need to? Well, there's still, in some states, people are out there still hitting up bars and restaurants and still seeing partygoers in Florida at the beaches. Uh, That is not helpful right now. And it may seem innocent enough, but what that means is that 10 days, two weeks from now, we're going to see hospital beds filled up. And look, if you get sick with COVID or without, like you could get in a car accident and need a hospital bed. There may not be one available for you. So it's not just something that's going to affect only the elderly. And tell me about just, uh, I think this case is being made a lot in the media, but I want to hear it from you. For the person who is healthy, say, you know, I'm 36, I'm in good health. I went for a jog yesterday. Uh, Why shouldn't I go out to the bar tonight, even though, hey, I feel fine. And I bet for me, it would just be a cold. Well, it it most likely wouldn't just be a cold. It'd be the flu and it'd make you feel pretty terrible. But you're right. The average 36-year-old healthy person is going to do okay. There are two problems with this. One is there are people in their 20s and 30s and 40s who are dying from this infection. It is not completely without risk. We've seen it. We saw the doctor in China who was the guy who kind of called it out early. He was in his 30s. Mm. And he ended up dying from the disease. Wow. So uh, we're seeing that. Uh, and so I would not take it quite so lightly. The second, of course, is that it turns out that 36-year-old healthy people have friends and family who sometimes are older or sicker than that. So you may have a friend who's immunocompromised. You don't even know it. But you could then spread the infection to your friend who dies from it. You yeah. could spread it to your parents. You could spread it to your grandparents. I mean, I guess if you basically say, I don't really care about anybody else. I don't care about my friends and family. And if they all die, we're good because I probably won't die. That's okay. But that's not how most people feel. And I don't think that's where most people want to go. And it seems to me that there's this general way that this disease spreads by people coming into contact, spreading it and coming into contact with another person. And so even if you're not thinking about yourself personally, or, hey, none of my friends and family are immunocompromised or elderly. I'm not going to see those people anyway. Just by you moving around and contacting people, you're creating an amount of transmission vectors. And by reducing those generally, that's like a, a good for everyone. We should all be trying to reduce that as much as possible. Exactly. So you could spread it to your friend who could then see your immunocompromised friend. Look, this stuff is out. It gets out in the community. Once it gets out in the community, it becomes very hard to curtail. And so it's super important that everybody do their part. It's not just going to be good for you. It's going to be good for everybody else in your in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family. 
So I want to ask about some of the big questions that people have about this. And, and I, I'd like you to answer to the best of your knowledge, right? Uh, one of the big ones is, first of all, how long do you think that we will be on high alert in this way? Do you have any guess as to that? You said that, you know, we're going to we're going to be going up the peak for a couple of weeks. But in terms of how long will we be in that state of, hey, we're all trying to keep infection down, so we're all going to stay in our houses as much as possible? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I think it's hard to answer, and I'll tell you why it's hard to answer. The biggest reason is I don't even know how many infections there are in America because we're yeah. still not doing testing, uh, not extensively. We're doing some better than we were last week. So what I have called for is that everybody's got to essentially shelter in place, hang out at home, not do a lot of socializing until we get broad testing across America. And if my hope is that in the next week, 10 days, we can get there. Once we have broad testing, we'll know in which neighborhoods and communities do we have a lot of virus, in which case we may need to continue kind of holding down the fort a bit. And there are going to be other communities where it's not so bad and we've identified most people who are infected and then we can probably relax the constraints a bit. Got it. We don't know right now because we don't have any data. And until we start getting information about who's sick and who's not and how many people are sick, it's very hard to know what to do next. So just to take an example, let, let's talk about where, where I live, Los Angeles. Yep. I'm in the entertainment industry. Entertainment industry shut down. People are asking, yep. when can we start filming TV shows again? Right. Because that's very important to everybody in terms of making money. We've got everyone from the people writing the shows to the to the grips and the PAs, you know, need to work. And so it really sounds like it comes down to getting thorough tests in Los Angeles and then it's going to be like local to this area. Once yep. once LA County says people can go back to work, um, that's what we're going to be looking for. Yeah. And what LA County says is probably going to be different than what Manhattan is saying, which is probably going to be different yeah. than what's happening in Seattle or Dallas or Boston, right? It's going to be community to community and uh, every community is going to have to make a, make a choice. Look, if, if I didn't care about the economy. I didn't care about anybody's livelihood. I would just say we should all say lockdown for 12 to 18 months. But that's crazy. It's going to destroy the economy. It's going to ruin the fabric of our society. We can't do that. Yeah. So we're going to have to make some calculated risk benefit decisions, I think, in a couple of weeks when we have evidence. So if you're going to make a decision on trade-offs, you got to know what the data are. You got to know how big a risk you're taking. Right now, I have no idea how big a risk we're taking. That's what we got to figure out. So uh, let me ask you another one. People are, there's been speculation that, hey, maybe this disease will die down in the summer, in the warmer months, but then maybe come back. Uh, what is your view on that? Yeah, so that people have brought that up. And the example of that is a 1918 flu that killed 50 million people around the world. And exactly. They, a lot of people died in the spring. Summer was quiet in the fall huge resurgence, massive numbers of deaths. That's entirely, I think it's possible. I'm not counting on a, on a big like summer months will make this infection go away, mm. but I am counting on all the stuff we're doing now, slowing the infection rate down so much that we might have an easier time over the summer. Then I start worrying, well, what does that mean for the fall? Does that mean that like things get better in the summer and then are we essentially shut down all fall and winter? That's not a great example uh, option either. Yeah. So it is possible that we can slow things down into the summer. Um, I think we should try, 
but it's not going to get us out of the woods. We're not going to be completely out of the woods with this infection until we get a vaccine or some very effective therapies. That's what I was going to ask, because it seems like, hey, we're all staying inside right now. I can make uh, I don't believe I've caught it, but let's let's say I haven't. But hey, once I start going outside again, then I'm exposed again. I become a transmitter again. And, you know, we can't stay in that position forever. So we really are just waiting for a vaccine. We are. But the vaccine is a good 12 to 18 months away. Um, Under the best of circumstances, it's 12 or more likely closer to 18. Why is that? It just takes a while, right? So it takes a long time to build a vaccine. We've never built a vaccine for a coronavirus before. Mm. It is amazing to me what the scientific community has done. Look, you got to remember, two and a half months ago, none of us had ever heard of this virus. Yeah. And, you know, we've in two months ago, we identified it. And in the last two months, we've sequenced it. We've built up. We've actually got prototypes of vaccines. They're going into human trials. It just takes a long time. Even if the vaccines that we're building now work, then you got to ramp it up. You got to make like hundreds of millions of doses of that thing. Yeah. So there is a lot of work ahead and you got to make sure it's pure and it's effective and all that stuff. So 12 months is what I think is like the super optimistic scenario. Mm -hmm. 18 months is maybe the more realistic scenario. So we've got to come up with a plan of how we're going to get through the next 18 months. Can't be hunkered down in a home for 18 months. That's going to drive everybody crazy and destroy our economy. Yeah. We also can't just go about our business because a lot of people are going to die. So we got to come up with a right kind of medium solution around this. And who who comes up with that solution? <laughs> Usually, again, we haven't dealt with things like this, but the way yeah. it ought to work is you get, you know, public health experts and scientists and virologists and doctors and they give their scientific advice and then political leaders take that advice into account and have you know frank conversations with the American people about what are you willing to tolerate? Mm-hmm. Are we willing to tolerate a few extra deaths for a little more economic activity? Those are the trade-offs, and they're painful trade-offs, right? Like, there are no easy trade-offs here. But the problem is that it's been really hard uh, to get this administration to deal with this seriously. I think in the last five, six days, they've started. Yeah. And then it's also really hard to get them to just speak honestly and openly with the American people about the challenging times ahead. Look, I actually think that we as a country are going to get through this. We're going to get through it without too much hurt, but it is going to be hard. And people need to have very honest conversations and like kind of rose colored glasses of it's going to be great and we've got it under control. It's not helpful because if we don't have it under control, we shouldn't tell people we have it under control. Yeah, I've been. That's what I think. You know, I had people saying to me, uh, you know, fans of fans of my work saying, hey, Adam, I think you should try to calm people down. I think people are panicking. And my response was, I think it's all I don't think panic is good, but I think that fear in this case is maybe okay to some extent to, because this is a very serious situation. It is serious. And my take is, I don't even know if I want people to be scared. I just want people to understand the reality of this. Yes. It's a serious situation. And, um, it's not beyond our capacity to deal with it. We're not all going to die. It'll like, it'll be okay, but we're going to have people get sick and some of them will die. And our strategy should be two things making sure that as few people die as possible and making sure that our economy is not completely destroyed. Those are our two goals. I think we can achieve them. There's a little bit of a balancing act, but we're not going to like, if we tell people, hey, it's all going to be fine. You're not going to make any sacrifices. 
No, people will have to make sacrifices. It'll be hard. Well, one thing I'm curious about is that uh, I've heard people say that, hey, every expert on this type of disease, on you know pandemics of this nature would tell you, uh, yeah, we we knew that something like this was likely to happen eventually, that yeah. um, pandemics are a real threat that have to be constantly managed. Um, and so, I mean, is this particular scenario, hey, a disease comes through that no one has immunity to and everyone has to go on lockdown. Is this literally something that that you saw coming with like this exact scenario? It's amazing. You know, even the Obama administration did um, uh, these little trials, like these mock things of like what happens if a pandemic hits. They try to do it with the Trump administration kind of during transition. In every one of these mocks, it's a virus that originates in China that no <laughs> one has immunity to. And then it jumps to, it comes from like an animal. It gets into Europe and America, like this exact scenario. Yeah. Now, most people thought it would be an influenza virus and not a coronavirus, but that's like, you know, that's kind of an interesting scientific fact that yeah. for people doesn't matter. This is exactly the scenario everybody played out. And, so if that's the case, why is it taking so many of us by surprise? Why is it seeming even to take our medical establishment by surprise or our administration by surprise? Well, so they're two separate things. I mean, I, look, I don't expect most Americans to be walking around knowing what the likely next pandemic is. Sure. Right. Like people have got busy lives and they're trying to just get through their day. And uh, but it, they do expect people like me to know what the next pandemic is likely to be. And we did. And I, like nothing about this is a surprise. To me, the big surprise is in mid-January, when it was very clear that we were going to have a global pandemic, the, how the administration decided that if we close our eyes and act like nothing's happening, it'll automatically go away. Pandemics don't disappear because you're just going to act like it's not there. You know, it's, it's just sort of not how these things work. Yeah. And so we had a two-month period where liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans, a lot of us were just saying, we got to do something about it. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And the administration just ignored it. And you heard it from the administration. We got it under control. It's no worse than the flu. It's no big deal. And all of us kept saying, like, why are you saying that? We know that's not true. Yeah. And at some point, once the you know Dow had fallen like 10,000 points <laughs> and the economy was like grinding to a halt, it no longer became possible to say this is all a hoax. And then like you had to face it. And yeah. that's where the administration is. They just they have to face it because reality has caught up with them. So tell me what this looks like. For, first of all, are there cases in which similar pandemics, you know, have been squelched earlier? Like I, I know I've heard about Ebola as being an example where a lot more was done. Is that comparable as, you know, we should have done those things? And what would, in this case, an immediate proper response have looked like that and you know what different world could we be living in yeah so we could have had like the singapore south korea taiwan response each of those countries took a totally different approach what they did was they ramped up testing they started testing people right away everybody who was infected got quarantined all their contacts got identified and monitored. And then when those people showed symptoms, they got tested, they got quarantined if they had it. And they went through this very aggressive testing period. And guess what? South Korea had a little spike. 
And now South Korea is close to like, they're, they're close to getting around their pandemic or their epidemic. We've seen the same thing in Singapore, same thing in Taiwan. Japan has also basically done the same thing. Mm. So it's clearly possible. The problem is in Europe, in Italy, and here in the United States, we've been super slow. We didn't even have testing. Go- we still don't have t- as much testing as we need. So we just, we just, just put it very honestly, we just messed this up. Yeah. And if people are wondering, why am I on lockdown? You're partly on lockdown because we wasted two months and didn't get a test go. And that's incredibly frustrating. Um, it doesn't mean there's nothing else we can do now. There's a lot we can do. But we are in this position because we wasted two months. Two months is a long time to waste in a pandemic response. Yeah. Now, if you look at those two differences structurally, right, yep. in terms of what those nations' responses were, we can talk about, you know, failures of leadership in the United States on sort of an individual level, right, or, yep. or those, you know, teams in the White House. Um, but... You know, when we're looking at, hey, here's what the U.S. and Europe didn't do. Yeah. Um, is there something structurally about how our healthcare infrastructures are organized or, you know, is there something yeah, yeah. about uh, how, you know, our national systems? I mean, you're not, you know, it's not like you're talking about yeah. China and South Korea and those are very different systems of government. But, yeah. you know, what, what's the differences that you see there? Yeah. No. So part of the reason why the countries that have done very, very well, um, is because they've had experience with other outbreaks like SARS in the past. Ah. And so I think they were a bit more attuned to this and having experienced it, they were like a bit more ready. Um, The other part is, I do want to differentiate again between some of the European responses in America. Um, You know, look, in countries like Germany, in countries like uh, even the UK, which now, of course, is not actually doing a good job, but initially other countries, they had testing up and running. Um, So almost all those countries did a much better job than we did. Uh, the testing debacle is kind of a uniquely American problem. Like there's no other country that's done as bad of a job on testing. But it does raise some really interesting questions about like, why is it still relatively hard for America and Western Europe to respond to something like this compared to what a lot of Asian countries and others can do more quickly? Some of it is historical uh, experience. Some of it is um, just the government's able to move much faster. Um, But also I think some of it is our countries just didn't take it as seriously as those did. And that's really as much on us as individuals as it is on the governments. Yeah. Um, well, what is the uh, what are the months ahead look like for you personally? What are you going to be doing? And what do you think, uh, what do you see ahead for the country's response uh, as people are? Because right now everyone is sitting at home going, all right, literally, how long is this going to last? What is what is Monday going to be like? But then what yeah. is Monday going to be like two months from now? Um, yeah. So what does the future look like for you? Right. So let me tell you how um, this goes if we do what we're supposed to do well. Okay. So let me give you the positive scenario because yeah. I don't want to talk about the negative one. Um, so life is going to be different for us for like probably 12 to 18 months. What life was like six months ago, we're not going back to that anytime soon. But life doesn't need to look like what it is today. Like this is not, we can't do this for 12, 18 months, right? Yeah. So what I am hoping, here's like the good scenario. And if we do all, if we play our cards right, we can do this, which is we get widespread testing happening across America. We figure out where, you know, kind of what the state of infection is. In communities that we don't have very high infection rates, 
you start letting kind of letting off the brakes a little bit, let people go back to work, let kids go back to school, you know, maybe not mass gatherings. Like maybe we don't have like the, you know, the hundred thousand person March. Like we don't do that. Yeah. Um, but, we, but you know, like if bars and restaurants, maybe uh, some of that stuff, I think can start coming back. Comedy clubs, hopefully my business. Comedy clubs would be at the top of my list. Like the, before I open <laughs> tools, I open, I'm going to open up. <laughs> people need, I had the people power. Need us. <laughs> if I had the power. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so we start opening some stuff up in some communities, but it won't be everywhere. Right? Like places that might have high infection rates, you may need to wait a little longer until you feel like you really got it. Um, during that time, we're putting a ton of resources into getting our hospitals and healthcare systems ready. Look, hospitals are going to get slammed. And what is going to happen is they're going to run out of uh, personal protective equipment. Doctors and nurses are going to start getting sick. ICU yeah. beds are going to... So we got to work on that. We work on that. Things start calming down a little bit. Um, I am hoping that actually as we go into the summer, spring and summer months, the infection rates are relatively low. I could imagine in some communities you get a spike and what you do is you close down schools and work very quickly. You say, look, guys, it's going to be a two-week close. We may have a, some of those, but they won't be like the 18-month close. It might be short-term closes. Then over the summer, we prepare for the fall. And preparing for the fall means like the whole country's got to get focused because the fall is going to come and the infections are going to come back and we can actually be ahead of it. Right now we are playing catch up because again, two months is a very long time to waste. If we now then like, use the summer months to get ready for the fall, when the infection comes back, we're going to be in much better shape. We're not going to have to do mass closings. It's going to be a hard 2020. 2020 is not going to be a normal year. But we get through this, not a lot of people die, some of the economic activity comes back. 2021, we get a solution, we're good to go. That can happen. But it's gonna be hard. And it's gonna and we're gonna have a few more times where we'll be like, I can't believe the schools are closing again or the work is closing again. We may have some of those. Yeah. But if we don't do it, then we're looking for like 18 months of just hell. And we don't want that. And we don't need to do it. We've got the ability to like not do that. Yeah. Can you paint a picture for me of the bad case scenario? Because I, I really do think it's important for people to have it in mind because otherwise they tend to dismiss, oh, it's being overhyped, et cetera. All right. um, and so what does that look like? Yeah. So I'll tell you, the there was a report two days ago, Imperial College uh, in London, one of the best places in the world to do this kind of work, puts out a report of what they think is the most likely scenario for America and the UK. And I'll just talk about America. They lay out a scenario where basically if we don't do much, two and a half million Americans die. Wow. Just to give you a perspective, that's like four times as many people die of heart disease in America. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a massive number. All of our hospitals are completely overrun with people with COVID. That means if you're gonna have a baby, you can't go to the hospital because there, there's gonna be no beds. If you get into a car accident, there ain't no hospital beds for you. Like the hospitals are gonna be and they paint a picture of if we do nothing, 20, 25% of our doctors will get infected and nurses, they're going to get sick. They're not going to be around. It's a very bleak picture. And it is a picture of if we decide not to take this thing seriously, we all go back to our normal activity. We Everything goes back to normal. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be an economic mess. It's going to be a huge health mess. Um, and if you think, well, it'll only affect a certain population, not true. It'll affect all of us. I don't I don't worry about that scenario, even though they say it's the most likely scenario, because I think we're smarter than that. We're not going to do that. We I know <laughs> stuff we have to do is painful. Yeah. But we're not going to let that happen. 
We're Americans, and I'm much more optimistic that we're going to figure out how to beat that approach or that scenario. I mean, yeah, I do have to say that uh, over the last week, the amount of response that I've seen from people, just the people I'm in contact with, everyone getting on the same page, so many workplaces closing, people working from home, people accepting the new reality, being baffled by it, saying, I can't believe this, but doing it. Um, impressed me. I know there's lots of people out there who are not, but for that reversal, I mean, it was uh, was only a week ago the NBA season was canceled, which to me was day day zero in a way. And and then the next day we were going, hey, maybe we should do uh, optional work from home. And the next day it was mandatory work from home. And the next day it was like, oh, wow, I'm not going to leave my house. Right. Um, And it took a a couple more days for the message to get out wide, but it does feel like People have gotten the message very quickly, as opposed to say, you know, climate change is like a much longer time scale, right? right. But it's the degree to which it's been hard to make that uh, uh, society-wide change. Yeah. Um, this has seemed to happen in a swifter way. I agree. I think it's been awesome. Um, I have, like a week ago, I was out there saying, we got to do this, this, and this. I feel like we've made so much progress. This is why I don't believe the worst case scenario, because I believe that, you know, like nobody wants to be stuck at home. Nobody loves the fact that restaurants and bars are closed. But I think people understand that there is a real cost if we don't do these kinds of things. And I've seen people react and and respond in a very uh, good way. So I remain very optimistic that we can do the right things that we need to do to get through the next few weeks and few months. Uh, but it is going to be hard. Like, let's say things get relaxed in a couple of weeks and some places open up again. I can promise people it won't be the last time things will close. Yeah. Um, until we get uh, either some really good treatments or we get a, gr- or we get a great vaccine, um, we're going to continue just battling this thing until we're through it. And what you're really describing is, in the best case scenario even, it's a it's us putting ourselves on like a wartime footing and a, and a wartime mentality where, hey, life is going to be different. We're all going to have to change the way that we live in massive ways. Some industries are going to be completely shut down for a long time. Live sports, for example, uh, is I mean, yep. this is the kind of shutdowns you would see during a war for, yep. uh, you know, when uh, they had to shut down Major League Baseball and, uh, you know, the <laughs> people had to make do. Right. Um, it really is that kind of world we're living in. I think I, it's hard for me to see uh, how we have, you know, live sports, football, baseball, uh, all of those in the next six to 12 months. Look, wow. we could end up suppressing this virus enough. Again, fabulous therapy. Fabulous therapy won't stop the spread, but it, it'll make it much, potentially make it much milder. Mm. You can imagine that under certain circumstances, but if things would have to go very, very well for that to happen. My guess is we're probably in for a year of a very different life. Um, and then I think things can return back to normal once we have a really effective vaccine. But until then, um, we're in for a bit of a slog. Um, but I think we can get a lot of our life back, not all of it, but I think we can get a lot of our life back if we're willing to kind of go through and, and uh, some of these processes and, and stay home when we need to. And once we get our testing up and running so that we actually know who's got the infection and doesn't. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, I, I'm going to let you get back to your important work, but I, I just have one last question for folks Dude. sitting yeah. at home 
worrying about themselves, right? Worrying, they're, they're sitting there going, wait, I feel a tickle in the back of my throat. What do yeah. I do? They're yeah. saying, what happens if I get the disease? What are my prospects? And they're saying, you know, can I really not invite friends over, right? All those sorts of questions. Um, I'm yeah. sure you've been feeling plenty of calls from worried relatives and friends. Yeah. What do you tell them? And what do you tell our listeners? Yeah. So let's talk about two different things. What happens if you feel that tickle on the back of your throat? And then can you really not hang out with your friends? So on the first one, um, what I would say is uh, most people are going to do fine. So like, relax. If you feel like you have a fever, check your temperature. If you have a cough, um, call your doctor. Don't pick up, don't go into the emergency department. First of all, they probably won't be able to test you. And second, you're going to, you might actually pick it up from somebody who's there. So don't do that. Like call your doctor, talk to your doctor and figure yeah, out can, if you're can high I ask risk. For folks, for folks who don't have a doctor to call, which is many, many people who yeah. I've heard many people say like, Hey, I don't, well, I'd call my doctor's office and I get the secretary and I never hear, hear from the doctor, right? Who, yeah, who yeah. maybe don't have that relationship. Do yeah. you have advice for those folks? Yeah. So first of all, if you do have a doctor, even if you don't have a great relationship, those doctors are now on a very different footing as well. And they know that okay. they need to do video calls and they need to get back to you and they need to talk to you because they're not going into their own office right mm -hmm. now. So, um, so hopefully it'll be a very different thing. But if you don't have a doctor at all, um, that is a challenge, of course. Um, and, you know, people are going to start reaching out to things like minute clinics or all these online things, doctors on demand, other stuff popping up. The bottom line is, this is not the time to go to the emergency department unless you're really at death's door. Obviously, if you've been in an accident, you're having a heart attack, go. Um, but other than that, don't do it because your chances of picking up something is actually greater than chances of having it. Got it. Second, once you have, if you're really high risk or once we have more testing available, they'll send you someplace where you can go get tested. If you don't have it, great. If you do have it, like you got to quarantine yourself, you got to isolate yourself so you don't give it to other people. But most people with the infection, especially if they're young, young and healthy, will do okay. And that's the good news. And if you're one of those people who doesn't, then you got to go in and, and get taken care of. In terms of hanging out and bringing your friends over, here's my advice. Just give it another week to 10 days until we sort out where we are. So like, please, 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 in the next week, 10 days, just like FaceTime with people, do other things, but do not uh, go hanging out with your friends. Um, in a week to 10 days, we'll have a much better sense of how bad a situation we're in. And then we can make decisions based on data and evidence. Right now, we're all kind of flying a little bit blindly here. And it's really important uh, that people uh, hang out at home and, and not do all that much socializing. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It... Uh... I won't say that everything you said put my mind at ease, but it does make me feel better to hear the real story from someone who <laughs> really knows and, and to get it told straight. And uh, I'm sure many of our listeners benefit from that as well. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, Adam, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to thank Dr. Ja one more time for coming on the show, taking time out of his busy schedule to share this vital life-saving information with us. Uh, that is it for us this time on Factually. We're going to have another episode for you on Wednesday, and we are going to bring as many uh, episodes and experts as we can to bear on the topic of coronavirus. At the same time, we're going to keep running awesome general knowledge interviews with interesting experts around the world to keep you entertained and informed while you're cooped up inside. I want to thank our superstar researcher, Sam Roudman, who booked Dr. Jaw on the show. I want to thank our producer, Dana Wickens, our engineer, Ryan Connor, Andrew WK for our theme song. I want to thank you for listening and being a part of the community of people 
who listen to this podcast. We'll be back with you for another episode of Factually on Wednesday. Stay safe and keep washing those hands. Thank you.